Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. 2020, of course, is all-consuming. It's all we can think about, particularly the coronavirus crisis. But the world did exist before 2020. Many things, of course, happened. And one of the events, which now seems to be almost ancient history, but has enormous relevance, I think, for the 21st century history of America, and perhaps even the contemporary history of America, was the Iraq War, which began in March 2003, of course, stemmed directly from the 9-11 terrorist outrages in New York City and Washington, D.C. Robert Draper is a Washington, D.C.-based journalist, a very, very distinguished journalist, has come out with enormously carefully researched book, long, detailed, and very readable, called To Start a War, How the Bush Administration Took America into Iraq. Uh, Robert, in, um, in, in this hot, weird summer of 2020, why should we still care about Iraq? Well, so we would not have uh, Donald Trump, but for the Iraq war, let's start with that. I think that he distinguished himself from his Republican opponents by basically saying, um, look at all the experience you guys have and what did it get us? It got us endless wars and I promise that I will extricate us from them. And in fact, place a premium on America first, as he put it. So there's that. I also think though that, that um, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, a whole generation of Americans have grown up believing that the U.S. government is not on the level. And the reason they believe that is that uh, in 2003, uh, we were told that we had to go to war against Iraq because it was a, uh, Saddam Hussein was a dangerous man who had weapons of mass destruction and who intended to confederate with al-Qaeda and use them against us. Everything I just said to you was factually untrue. Uh, and so there's every reason to believe that when uh, the U.S. government says these things to you, that, um, uh, that they're no longer the case. And I think that's given rise to a, a, a reality TV star with, with um, no political experience who can say, um, uh, don't believe the facts that the deep state is telling you. Believe me, I alone can fix it and I alone know what the truth is. So from Paul Wolfowitz to Donald Trump, uh, via, via the catastrophe of the Iraq war, why else should we care? Leaving aside Trump, let's say Trump hadn't happened. I know it's hard to imagine now, sure. but why else does Iraq matter? Well, one of the reasons it matters is that it was the most consequential foreign policy blunder of the last 50 years or so. We're still living with the effects of that, even leaving aside uh, uh, the presidency of Donald Trump. Um, the, the, the belief and the hope from the Bush administration then were that it would favorably uh, uh, redo the, the map, as it were, of, of the Middle East, that democracies would flower everywhere. Nothing like that has happened. In fact, those of us who believe that the war was, uh, was a foolish idea were concerned first and foremost that Iran would be the beneficiary of it. That's proved to be the case. The new prime minister of Iraq is, in fact, um, backed um, uh, by the government of Iran. Uh, so uh, 
uh, on top of all that, I'd also say that given the, um, the scale of this calamity, given that nearly half a million Iraqis lost their lives, 4,400 American troops and so many others from the UK and elsewhere, you would think we would have learned something from it. And I'm not convinced that we have. I'm not convinced that there has been any kind of fulsome discussion of, well, you know, under what circumstances then should we go to war? Uh, at the very moment, we have a president who at least claims that he is, he's, he's taken a posture of isolationism, uh, but there is a vast um, uh, degree of possibility between uh, uh, sort of rampant misadventures uh, in a region like the Middle East and having nothing to do with the rest of the world. And where exactly we find um, uh, a need to intervene militarily in Libya, for example, has there been a discussion about whether or not that was the right thing to do, apart from the fact that Obama did it and therefore we don't like it? Um, uh, if a Rwanda uh, uh, occurred, again, something of a humanitarian catastrophe of that, would that be an appropriate time to inter intervene? I don't think a, a full-on discussion of that has taken place, uh, despite the fact that Iraq gives you so many clues as to what to do and what not to do. Robert, one of the things that occurs to me, well, I, I was living in the United States back then um, in the beginning of the 21st century. One of the things that perhaps isn't always remarked on is how ascendant America was in both immediately before and after 9-11. Everything it touched in foreign policy seemed to go right. Is that fair? Was there a, a kind of an imperial arrogance, not only about the Washington, D.C. foreign policy establishment, but also politically and culturally in America? I think that's entirely fair and a very apt observation. I mean, uh, so the, the U.S. had won the Cold War, the U.S. had um, quote uh, the, unquote one. I mean, at least yeah. in its mind. I mean. Right, right. No, but but the, you know the collapse of the Soviet Union constituted a victory. Um, the, routing Saddam Hussein uh, from Kuwait. Uh, via a U.S.-led coalition, certainly counted as a victory as well. But I think also the, the really important thing to recall is that a lot of people on the left still were very queasy about the idea of war until Kosovo and, and Bosnia happened. And then they took from that the lesson that not every military conflict had to be a Vietnam intractable and with impossibility to, to sort anything positive out of it, that, that you could um, sort of get in and get out. I think that was... A, in, in a way, a dangerous lesson to learn. So yes, all that's to say that I do think the U.S. was heading for a kind of comeuppance, and and and, and all the more so when Bush came into office, and he and the people around him basically thought if Bill Clinton believes something is dangerous, then it must not be. And so when they were getting all these briefings prior to 9-11 about al-Qaeda and the imminence of a terrorist attack, they they refused to listen to it. They they still had a kind of Cold War mindset. Uh, wanted to you know develop a sort of missile uh, missile shield defense and and this kind of this notion of asymmetric warfare was just something that didn't occur to them until it was too late. One of the other things that always occurred to me about the Iraq War was how much it was influenced by 1989 and the collapse of communism. You know, as, as you show in your book, uh, Wolfowitz and Fife and all these other uh, pro-Iraq warriors um, clearly were complicated and weren't purely idealistic. But their premise that an invasion of Iraq could result in a kind of democratic domino effect in the Middle East 
it seems absurd now, but back in 2003, it wasn't absurd, was it? No, it was not. I mean, or at least let's say um, you could sympathize with that notion since with the collapse of the Soviet Union, democracies did spring up that were truly heart stirring to see in the Czech Republic, in Slovenia, et cetera, um, uh, in Poland. And uh, so there was a belief that there was this global hunger for democracy and that it would not take much to nudge the region of the Middle East. You mentioned Paul Wolfowitz, who'd been the secretary, uh, I'm sorry, the deputy secretary of defense in the Bush administration. Previous to that, many years before, he had been the U.S. ambassador to Indonesia. And he had seen what a Muslim-dominated country would look like uh, with religious tolerance, with moderate influences. And Wolfowitz believed that sort of thing could happen in the Middle East, but for the presence of uh, autocrats like Saddam Hussein. And uh, he had been under Secretary of Defense for Policy during the first Bush administration, believed in a sense that it was unfinished business, uh, leaving Saddam standing, leaving him there to slaughter uh, Kurds and Shia. And, uh, and, and so believed not only that from a humanitarian standpoint, it was necessary to remove him, but that it would also lead to a kind of positive domino effect throughout the Middle East. And you're right, that I think that that does have its antecedents in the Cold War. And had the Iraq invasion been done professionally and competently, it might have. And, and, and given the catastrophe of Syria and of much of North Africa and the current malaise of Egypt, it's still conceivable that that kind of imperial enterprise, this democrat, pro-democracy imperial enterprise could have worked. Is that fair? Well, I mean, it's fair. It's a counterfactual, so it's unknowable. But I guess what I'd say about that is that it's generally um, bad business and generally uh, uh, viewed in a dim light to invade a country that has not attacked you and poses no threat to you. So, you know, this, I mean, the, the, it, uh, you know, it, it, there were a lot of dictators uh, in the Middle East and beyond um, who had uh, yeah. who had weapons of mass destruction. That didn't mean they were going to use them against the U.S. But as it turned out, Saddam didn't ha even have weapons of mass destruction. And, and for us to lean so heavily into uh, intelligence that really um, had moderate confidence at best in most cases was a, was a dangerous thing to do. And invading a country that doesn't pose a threat is a dangerous precedent to set. Point taken, Robert. Uh, your book is dense. It's, it's, it's wonderfully researched. But for the purposes of this interview, summarize very briefly, as briefly as you can, how much of a scam this invasion was. How coordinated was the lying, the muddying of the waters? How much did Bush and Wolfowitz and Cheney and the rest of the gang know about the essential lies that were being told about um, Iraq? So in, in contrasting the Bush administration to the Trump administration, I think the Trump administration, uh, Trump himself willfully makes things up all the time, sees facts that he doesn't like and pushes them to the side, calls them fake news and, and presents a lie that, that amounts to you know, his, his favorable counter narrative. It's not quite what was happening in the Bush administration. George W. Bush, we, there was a bumper sticker that was very prevalent in the US uh, um, after the invasion that said Bush lied, people died. I actually think that Bush will go to his grave believing that he lied about nothing, that he told the truth as he understood it to be. But there's a real problem here. And that's that he, be, uh, so it's often said that the 9-11 was a failure of the imagination. We failed to imagine what was coming. The Iraq war 
um, was a failure of the imagination gone wild. This was George W. Bush thinking, okay, 9-11 happened. We didn't see it coming. There's going to be another wave. It's bound to be worse. How could it be worse if Al-Qaeda got weapons of mass destruction? Where would they get them from? That guy who said nasty things about us on September the 12th, 2001, and who, by the way, also tried to assassinate my father. These were all these deductive leaps that were not supported by intelligence. And so, in a sense, Bush had his own alternative narrative. But one thing he did not do that, say, Trump is doing now is that nobody brought him intelligence that was inconvenient for him and he had that person fired. Uh, instead, uh, there was a lot of cherry picking and a lot of groupthink to support a notion about Saddam Hussein when, in fact, before going to war, an actual hard reappraisal of what little intelligence we did have would have and should have been in order. You're ducking the question a bit, Robert. So I'm going to come back at you. Sure. With it. It. Uh, you, you, you begin your book with a, a wonderful quote from Goethe. You said, a man is not deceived by others. He deceives himself, um, which is perhaps also to some extent muddying the waters. Are you suggesting that this whole group of people, these experienced diplomats and politicians in Washington, D.C., they all kind of unconsciously deceive themselves, even someone like Colin Powell. Well, I think Colin Powell actually was, you know, sort of walked the plank for the administration. He was given a case for war that he was assured was rock solid, presented it before the United Nations, and it turned out that virtually none of it was true. I, to, as, as a sort of an exhibit A for someone who was telling untruths willfully, I would steer you to Vice President Dick Cheney. It was Cheney who in August of 2002 stood before an audience and said, simply stated, there can be no doubt that Saddam possesses weapons of mass destruction. Well, hell, there was plenty of doubt. And um, it, it was not a known thing. And if you put a gun to any CIA analyst's head, they would say that, no, we don't know this. We, haven't, we don't have any evidence for anything. We are, we are inferring from the fact that Saddam once had these weapons and from their somewhat deceptive behavior that he's got them now. But no, we don't know. So that constitutes a lie. And, and, uh, and uh, Bush was never as declarative as Cheney was, but I do think there came to be a kind of creep in their language such that um, by the time they were about to go to war, it was understood to be a certainty that Saddam had weapons. So, yeah, we can, one can get too cute, I suppose, is this self-deception, is this knowing the truth and figuring they'll thank us someday anyway, we're gonna, just going to go ahead and lie, you know, uh, to the American public. I would, I would say in most cases, it was more self-deception. In the end, maybe it's a distinction without a difference. A lot of people's lives were uh, lost on the basis of things that were untrue. So, Bush, a liar or not on Iraq? And no middle well, ground here, Robert. Yes or yeah. no? Yeah, yes. I mean, and all the yeah. way down, they were all lying. Yeah, no, I mean, so Cheney for sure, Bush, I would say, um, uh, Bush said things that were untrue, but to me, a lie goes to intent, right? Lie means you know what you're saying is untrue and you don't give a damn. I don't think that describes Bush, and I'll probably disappoint some of your listeners in saying that, but I really do think that Bush was absolutely convinced, and there is a critical moment in the whole Iraq saga where he has the CIA presenting a case for him that he intends to have Powell delivered to the UN. This is the quote unquote slam dunk moment where uh, Bush 
it was understood that the moment was Bush saying, gee, I don't know, should we go to war? Uh, does Saddam have weapons? And the CIA director, George Tenet, assures him it's a slam dunk that he does. That's not what happened. What happened was that Bush was absolutely sure at this point in December of 2002 that Saddam had weapons. And he was asking the CIA, can you guys make a good enough case for me? Because if you can't, I'll go to somebody you can. And so at that point, I mean, Bush had utterly deluded himself into believing something when the CIA themselves knew the case was threadbare. Again, it's a distinction without a difference, I suppose. Rumsfeld, of course, famously talked about unknown unknowns. Is there still anything unknown about this awful saga that you've described into start a war? Uh, are there still question marks or have you and other historians and journalists pretty much uncovered everything, do you think? Well, I, I suppose there still remains the question, at what precise moment did George W. Bush decide, okay, I've got to invade? And what pushed him in that direction? Was there, uh, to me, it seems pretty evident that ultimately the intelligence didn't matter, since after all, he had embraced this feet of the imagination, this, this leap that Saddam was, was confederating like bat, like, uh, you know, the Joker and the Riddler uh, with uh, Al-Qaeda. Um, but we still don't know when he finally decided, all right, that's it. I think in the end, it's not very important. We know that it was in the first two weeks of January of 2003. And yeah, otherwise, I think we've, you know, I think my book makes it absolutely clear that Saddam had destroyed all his weapons by 1992. There were still people, including Bush, who all the way up to like 2006, 2007, still believe they're out there in the Syria desert somewhere. I don't think anybody who has any grip on reality believes that now. So let's go from Bush, maybe a liar, or certainly one that you suggest tentatively was a liar, to our current liar-in-chief. I don't think there's much doubt about it. You had a an interesting piece in the New York Times um, earlier this month, unwanted, a long piece in the magazine, Unwanted Truths Inside Trump's Battle with U.S. Intelligence Agencies. Um, how cleanly and profoundly do we draw this crisis in U.S. intelligence to the way in which Trump has essentially decimated the foreign policy and intelligence uh, establishment? Sure. I mean, I think that, that for one thing, you can say that Trump has systematically endeavored to bend every government agency to his will, but it's a rather poignant loss, and I think a really deeply disturbing loss when he seeks to compromise the entity that is only there, that exists only to give him the truth, the world as it is. When he's basically saying, I don't like that world. Go back and get me another world. Or, or no, I've actually told you know, um, the world what the world is, and you're mudding the waters. You're now um, uh, fake news. I'm firing you. I mean, the, 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 most, the most disturbing recent case, obviously, is the coronavirus. And uh, Bush, in, in late January, was given a briefing that made clear to him that this was a real danger and was likely to spread throughout the U.S. and across the globe, and that a true uh, uh, international effort was necessary. And Trump continued to, to give happy talk, because that was a politically inconvenient notion that the economy might crater on his watch and that tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of lives might perish during a re-election year for him. So he simply pushed it out of his mind into this very day as it is not speaking 
on the basis of facts. Just this morning, he was tweeting some obnoxious stuff about um, the intelligence community and how they're all crooks and liars. So it begs the question, if he's not getting his information from the United States intelligence community, just where the hell is he getting it from? Are you suggesting, Robert, that he may be getting it from Moscow, perhaps, or Baghdad, or well, or, or, or maybe something less devious, let's say, but 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 every bit is a name like Fox News, and uh, you know, that's some of the uh, some of the various uh, talk radio things that that posture themselves as the media, but are really about entertainment and about stoking uh, fears among the right wing. So it's, but yes, he could be getting his intelligence from Putin. Who knows? I mean, I, uh, what is clear is that he only gets one intelligence briefing a week now where Bush got it six days a week, Obama six days a week. And, and uh, uh, the, the Trump has, has continually bad the people who are there to bring him the ground truth begs the question, where is he getting his truth then? I'm getting the sense, Robert, that you won't be voting for Donald Trump in November. Let's say that he is indeed voted out of office and Mm -hmm. Joe Biden, a fairly conventional late 20th century Atlanticist and pro-foreign policy and intelligence agency uh, figure is voted into office. Uh, Does everything go back to normal or is the Trump blip something more profound and perhaps can be traced back to the catastrophe of the Iraq war and this crisis of U.S. uh, intelligence and foreign policy? Well, it won't go back to normal for three reasons off the top of my head. First, because we will be dealing with a pandemic, I think, and and the economic fallout, as well as the public health fallout uh, for years to come. You know, it's not going to go away in a few months. So there's that. Um, The second thing is that Trumpism um, will still be around even if Trump himself is not. And, and, and by that, I mean that there are people who have literally seen profit in this kind of, uh, the, this kind of posturing, this kind of um, uh, uh, divisiveness. I mean, there, and, and it's not just limited to Sean Hannity, Rush um, Limbaugh, and other talk show agents of the right. There are people who figured I can get power this way. I can get attention this way. I can make money this way. And I'm going to continue to do it. But the final reason, and it alludes to what you just mentioned and to what we've been talking about, is that let's assume things get back to normal vis-a-vis the pandemic. Uh, Let's assume then that Biden is able to conduct himself as a normal president will. And a foreign policy crisis, some kind of conflict happens on his watch. I honestly don't know how much a President Biden has learned from the Iraq experience. After all, he was one of the many senators who voted in the majority to give Bush authorization uh, for military force. Now, what he has said about that is that he regrets it. He shouldn't have trusted Bush. But what were his instincts? Why did his instincts tell him that Saddam was such a threat to America anyway, which he did say over and over. He was correct to say, I'm concerned about what would come after invading the Iraq. But, but why even see uh, you know, this obnoxious bully in Iraq as an existential threat to the US? Uh, what has he learned from his misreading of that situation? That's something it'd be nice to know. Well, at least he didn't um, bring in Susan Rice as his vice president, which would probably double the stakes on that thinking. Finally, uh, Robert, um, your book is really good because it reveals the complexity of history. It's all too easy to write, you know, a page blaming Bush or Wolfowitz or somebody else for the war or perhaps Saddam Hussein. But your book is complicated, beautifully researched and very, very readable. To start a war, how the Bush administration took America into Iraq. People should certainly read that. 
you're stuck in DC during the pandemic. What else should people be reading to entertain or enlighten themselves in these weird times, Robin? Oh, if only, um, if only I could step out from under and allow myself to be entertained. I've unfortunately being so deep in the mire of this, uh, I've instead just looked for things that, that, that further edify me. And there's a wonderful book written about the Trump administration called Front Row at the Trump Show uh, by a, uh, an ABC correspondent named Jonathan Carl, which I think gives a really, really nuanced sense of what it is like to be in the belly of that particular beast. Uh, I do hope that the um, once once this election's over, I will go back to reading fiction and and uh, uh, and and books about history that do not uh, remind us of the chilling times that we're in now. But unfortunately, this is the house that I call home. And and uh, and as you say, even stranded at home during uh, the pandemic, I'm very much immersed in um, the crisis that we're facing here in America. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week. And thanks so much for listening.